When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on, and welcome to another episode of Three Yards Per Carry. This time I have Simon Clancy with me here for the first half of the show. For the second half of the show, I will have Chris Kaufman. Oh my God, was that aggravating, Simon? It was worse than aggravating. It was one of the, it, it was one of the most horrendous performances I've ever seen by a Miami Dolphin team and that says something given the mediocrity that we've been mired in what I will say is that we are still three and one it is meltdown Monday everybody's got a you know everybody's having a meltdown be it on social media or in bars or whatever Mm -hmm. Um, but there's really no excuses for what happened yesterday it was uh, we talked about it beforehand and, and frankly I didn't think they'd win what I didn't expect was that they would they would I mean, shit the pants so badly that it was embarrassing. I mean, it was embarrassing. That was an embarrassing defeat. And I think it was more embarrassing than the 40 to nothing loss against Baltimore uh, last season on Thursday Night Football. <clears throat> and I, I say that because, and it's what we talked about, it was a validation game. It was a validation mm-hmm. for 3-0. It was a validation for all that we talked about. It was a validation for the return, not only the return of Ryan Tannehill, but also the fact that Adam Gaze had stuck with him. Um, and it was a validation that... The, the collective teams in football had their, you know, foot on the throat of the New England Patriots. You know, they could have gone one and three. And every single solitary player, bar about four, failed, not only failed to turn up, but were complicit in one of the most shambolic performances you will ever see from a team. I mean, it was frankly, it was just horrendous it was embarrassing it was shameful um and i don't think it was unexpected that's the thing you just i don't know you just thought that as much as we talked it up much as we talked it up they just wouldn't have the backbone to be able to back up that three and no start and you know look at tennessee have beaten philadelphia they beat philadelphia so they beat jacksonville last week so clearly (coughs) excuse me clearly miami are a good team because they beat the Titans. But yesterday proved just how far they have to go. And look, everybody has a bad week. Everybody has a bad game. It just so happens that the Dolphins' bad games tend to happen in games that really matter. And you just look, and I know Chris, Chris won't like this because Chris doesn't like talking about statement games. or you know. But when it comes to a statement game for the Miami Dolphins, they tend to fall flat on their face. Um, and I think you just take every single unit from coaching, I thought the coaching decisions, I thought Adam Gaze was out coached. I don't know why we were either running one yard routes or 60 yard routes. I don't know why we gave Kenyon Drake three carries. Um, I don't know why we consistently tried to look down the field. I don't know how we didn't escape from the Patriots playing six and seven defensive backs back on every single down. You look at that game on Saturday night, the Ohio State Penn State game. Dwayne Haskins, who will probably be a first-round quarterback when he comes out, was struggling immensely under the Penn State blitz and pressure. He looked very, very average as soon as pressure came in his face. Mm-hmm. Ryan Day and Urban Meyer got to halftime and they changed things up dramatically. It was quick two-step drops, screen pass, screen pass, screen pass, slowed down that Penn State rush, and Ohio State won the game. The Dolphins did nothing to change the perception of how New England were playing defense. And, and that, to me, is sh- a shameful indictment of, of Adam Gaze, of Doel Loggins, of, um, of Coach Loggins, and of Matt Burke. 
um, Ryan Tannehill, you know, you, the three of us have talked about it on WhatsApp today. I am as big a Tannehill back as there is, but it's games like that that make you wonder whether or not he's the right quarterback. And, you know, I say that with a heavy heart, and it is Meltdown Monday, and I will probably won't feel this way on <laughs> Thursday or Friday. But, but it, it's games like that that make you think, hmm, you know? Yeah. I, I do think he's probably good enough, but you just throw that tape on and you just, it was just, I don't know. It shambolic. Was awful. <laughs> it was shambolic. Look at the yeah. block, it, you know, the block, I thought that I thought Larry Tunsil played okay, actually. Yes. You know, I didn't think he played too bad. He's but quietly been, been very, very, very good this year. I'm talking about pro He has. He's been, out, he's been outstanding. John James got benched. Um, mm-hmm in the second quarter and nobody really explained why, but the interior of the line was a disgrace. I mean, Daniel Kilgore, who unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, is out for the season. The fact that his name is Kilgore and we have a running back called Frank Gore who can get no yardage (laughs) is the greatest irony in all of football. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever you do, Um, Mr. Chris Greer, do not sign anybody called Kill Drake. Okay. Let's not do that. Exactly. Look, you know, Mike Jasicki was signed to be a scene-busting tight Well, I mean, when's that going to show up? I yes. know he's only a rookie, and, and for me, rookie tight ends always struggle. I thought the receivers generally struggled to, to get out of, uh, out of press coverage. And I thought Ryan just threw the wrong balls. You know, there were, there were times where, you know, and Chris will talk more because Chris has had a look at the All-22. I haven't had a chance to do that yet. But the, there were times when there were receivers open and Ryan just failed to find them. But also, look, we've had huge success with in-breaking routes in the 12 to 18-yard area the first three weeks. We didn't yeah. run any of those. No. The fact that they played seven defensive backs, and yet Ryan stayed in the pocket almost the entire... You know, why is he not stepping up? And You love that kill goal line, didn't you? <laughs> yes, why that was not, a great line. Why, why is he not stepping up and making yards with his feet? Mm. You know, because that all of a sudden puts... That forces... Um, New England and it forces Bill Belichick to essentially take an extra defensive back off the field and put a linebacker in because if that's what Tannehill's going to do I thought that the Patriots were very 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 disciplined in how they were rushing Tannehill and they were trying to keep him in the pocket and you know that a Bill Belichick defense is going to be very well schooled and pretty intelligent about how they go attacking us but it doesn't mean that you can't you know run a draw or run a lead at them but but it doesn't it also doesn't mean that if they're staying with great lane discipline, which they had done, it, it's not very difficult for our interior offensive linemen to turn a guy out. Yes. And then all of a sudden, they're not playing any linebackers. And then Tannehill's got 10, 15 yards to just step up into. And people might say, oh, you know, he's coming off the AC. Well, he's been running like, you know, Gail Sayers for the first three weeks of the season. <laughs> yes. So here was a, you know, here's the perfect opportunity to, to do that. And I just, I just found it state. And then defensively, you know, zero I mean, how much, how much time did Tom Brady have in the pocket? It was astonishing. I thought, I yes. thought the interior defense, I thought Vincent Taylor played very well. Yes, he did. Uh, I, thought Jonathan, I thought Jonathan Woodard played very well. Um, yes. uh, Makeup Fitzpatrick was, was sublimely really, really good in that game. I thought, yeah, I thought Fitzpatrick played well. Uh, I thought the corner struggled. I thought Xavier Howard. TJ McDonald was a disaster. Yep. Um, so I was Chad Jones. I didn't think Tory McTire played very well at all. No. Um, I didn't think Kiko played very well. The ends couldn't get to, you know, and then Matt Hawke, who's been brilliant all season, just, you know. Yeah, he, even he was after, bad. He was all dreadful. I just don't understand how every, you know, <laughs> 40, however many, 45 of the 53 just managed to shit their pants all over yeah. themselves. I, I don't understand it. It was just inept. And, and what makes it worse, and I don't really care about the national narrative, but what makes it worse is that this was the time where, people could take us seriously on a national level where yes. radio talk shows where your Peter Kings and your, all of those people that have doubted us for so long, they finally turn around and the columns are full of the stuff that we do and the top 10 MVP lists are full of our players and, and it just didn't happen. And we go back as Peter King wrote this morning, I think he said that this was the game where Miami could have proved that they were contenders and what they have done is proved that they were less than pretenders. And you just think that that's what they did. And look, I know it's one game out of 16. And as one of the players said, you know, fairly apposite Appositely, is that a word? It <laughs> I'm was not fairly sure. apposite that this player said that 
look, in five weeks' time, nobody will remember that that game. Well, they will remember that game if all of a sudden we're three and seven or whatever it is. <laughs> because, because we've got a massive game now coming up against a really good, a really good Cincinnati team with yes, arguably the best offense in football. I mean, they marched into Mercedes-Benz Stadium yesterday and turned over the Falcons, who are also a really good team. And don't let that one and three record of Atlanta for you because they're an excellent side. They're just hamstrung by, you know, in Deion Jones, Keanu Neal, all those players that have suffered season-ending injuries. That's a really good team. And some stupidity in play calling also on their offense. Absolutely. We've got the Bears coming up soon. I mean, that Bears defense, I'm old enough to remember the Monsters of the Midway back in the mid-80s. That defense is absolutely superb. And Trubisky, all of a sudden, you know, looks like yesterday he found his, his mojo. You know, they've got players emerging from all over, the, all over the field. They've still got a really good running back. So, you know, it gets, I don't think it gets easier for us. I think, you know, it gets more difficult as we move forwards. And some of the teams that we thought might have been, um, might have been easy on the schedule all of a sudden look a bit more difficult. But look, it's one game, but it was just a shambles. Yeah, it was a, it was an absolute disaster, and uh, we talked about this before we 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 came onto this podcast. And I thought that the best part of the game, like the best thing the Dolphins did in that game, was having those two penalties lead to ten points for the New England Patriots. Because if you wipe those out, then I guess you're you're in the game deep into the second quarter. But it would have not mattered because that offense was a disaster. They were throwing combination routes into six and seven defensive backs. Yeah. which are way too complicated, okay? When you're playing against a team that you have a decided speed advantage against, make things simpler. Run tighter formations mm. and throw design passes and try to just turn the game into a sandlot game. Turn the game into my guy versus your guy and my guy's faster than yours, and we're going to try to sneak one past you. But that Look wasn't the, what they were doing. Did you watch Sunday Night Football last night? I didn't want to watch football. I was in a state of depression. I started no. watching movies. I watched it at lunchtime today, and the perfect, it's the perfect example of what we're talking about. Just a, a phenomenal adjustment by, by the Ravens in terms of they knew that they couldn't outspeed um, the Steelers defensively, even though the Steelers' defense isn't great. It's still, it's still quick. And all they did was play three tight ends and just kept you know short passes, hit Buck Allen out of the backfield, hit Alex Collins and then passes to to Mark Andrews and the two other tight end, Max Williams and the other tight end, Nick, I can't remember his second name. Uh, and, and that's all it was. You know, Flacco early, early on threw a couple of deep balls to John, to John Brown, who scored touchdowns. But from that point, you know, second half onwards, it was just adjustment, adjustment, adjustment. And they found what worked. It was just hit tight ends who ran over people, pick up four, pick up six, pick up four, pick up seven, pick up nine, pick mm-hmm. up. Four. Do you know what I mean? It was just move the ball down the field, move the ball down the field, move the ball. And, and then, you know, if a drive ran out of steam, Justin Tucker comes in, boom, kick a field goal. And again, get the ball back, run of seven, run of four, pass of six, pass of 11, run of four. Here comes Lamar Jackson on the sweep for five. Run of six, Max Williams for nine, kick a field goal, boom. And it was just perfect coaching. They'd got in at halftime and they'd worked out what was working, what wasn't working, and how they could attack that Steelers defense. And I just don't see the Dolphins doing it. And I'm a big Adam Gaze fan. We all are. But mm-hmm. that really frustrates me. It really frustrates me how, how abject the game plan was yesterday and how we seem so inept at making the sorts of adjustments that would make us a competitor. I smelled a rat early on, and I told you, I told both of you on the WhatsApp chat, uh, when they didn't activate Nick O'Leary, and I know we're talking about Nick O'Leary here, okay? Like, this guy's not going to make the difference between winning or losing a football game. But it does tell you something about their mindset going into the game. You go into this game with only two tight ends, aren't you really showing your hand to a Bill Belichick coach defense? I thought that that was a huge telltale, I would say. You know, not that Nick O'Leary was going to make a difference, but it does make a difference in that sense that you're you're basically advertising to Bill Belichick what is coming. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I don't know why they, you know, the the I don't know why they spread the field so wide. Why why aren't they running bunch sets and uh, and running multiple routes out of those bunch sets? You know what I mean? Just a, a few. Uh, what's wrong with a few tunnel screens and a few, you know, six or seven yard crossing routes? Get, get all the receivers lined up. Confuse the hell out of the Patriots' defense. Why do we play into their hands consistently? 
You know, yeah. it just seemed ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah, and, and trust me, there is nothing wrong with when you have Kenyon, Kenyon Drake or even Frank Gore, for that matter, on the field. And the Patriots roll out six or seven defensive backs, which they did several times. Just call them over and, you know, check to a 32 lead right up the middle and test them and try to have Jesse Davis move somebody out of the way and try to get an easy four or five yards. Okay. Two things that I find incredibly frustrating as well are, A, how often we found ourselves in third and long, which was almost every single drive. We're in third and 11, third and nine, third and 10, third and seven, third and 13 was incredibly frustrating. And then how many times we forced the Patriots into third and seven plus, and then just, you know, they converted a third and 13, they converted two third and 11s, they converted a third and nine, they converted two third and sevens. And you just think, we weren't getting any pressure, we weren't blitzing. I mean, Tom Brady struggles as we have, I mean, if we know it, there's three couch potatoes. If we know that (laughs) middle pressure, do you know what I mean? But if we know that middle pressure, Tom Brady has always struggled and notoriously struggled against the Dolphins because we've consistently got pressure straight in his face. But yet we didn't do that yesterday. We just were happy just to rush four men. Nobody could get home. And Brady had five or six seconds at times to pick a, pick a pass. One other thing as well that I, I yeah. think we probably should, um, we should touch upon briefly is that I feel like Charles Harris is becoming close to a bust already. Um, I yes. know it's early in his career, but he... I mean, he doesn't show a thing. And it's all well and good saying once Wake and Quinn move on that he will, he will step up. I, I, I just don't see it. I just think that's a... Yeah, that, that train might have left the, the station. Yeah. Yes. yeah, we're going to get into it a little bit more. But first of all, tell the people how they could have bet against the Dolphins on Sunday and made a bundle, Simon. Yeah, NFL season and NCAA seasons are obviously upon us as we are talking about week in week out so it's time to take your pigskin knowledge to the bank at betdsi.com they are celebrating 20 years online and have built an impeccable reputation for great service and fast payment for your winnings they've got an excellent mobile interface so you can play win and get paid anytime anywhere to help you get started with some extra bang for your buck the guys at betdsi will offer you double your money on your first deposit that's right deposit now to start winning and get up to two thousand five hundred dollars for free so double your money from the get-go when it comes to football bet dsi has every wager you could ever want or imagine and if it's happening in sport they'll put a line on it the nfl the ncaa major league baseball boxing ufc big fight in ufc this weekend conor mcgregor against um khabib which um which should be a classic premier league esports you can even bet on political stuff you know you're ready to win so join bet dsi today using promo code yards 101 I wish Miami had yards 101 at the weekend. Um, I don't think we managed to get 101 yards. So that's yards 101 to get in the action and get paid. Do not stand on the sidelines. Do not be a kill gore. Be in it to win it and enjoy the games that much more when you play with the guys at betdsi.com. Boom. Yeah, well, we're going to get into kill gore in a second, but this oh, was I terrible. tweeted before the game on our... I tweeted before the game on the account that I thought we'd lose heavily and yes we I saw that tweet and yeah we all suspected it could happen we just didn't think it would happen the way it did which was as bad as possible this game did come at a cost Kilgore as we speak torn triceps he is out for the season Bobby McCain should be out two to three weeks with what at the time Bill Belichick thought was a fake injury and turns out it was not a fake injury. He didn't play after that play. So he's out for two to three weeks. First, I'm going to go to you, Simon, on this. How do you replace Kilgore? Or, you know, does it really matter? But how would you go about replacing him going forward? I mean, it's not like there's great option out there, is there? Because otherwise we'd be using them. The loss of, it just means the loss of Josh Sitton just rings even heavier, really, doesn't it? I think the best bet would, because... I thought Travis Swanson was a bit of a disaster when he came in. Uh, yes. And frankly, he's not good. He ended the game. Like, to be honest, Kil- <laughs> Kilgore wasn't great, but I would be inclined to bring Isaac Aziata up. Um, you know, it, it, it shit will get off the pot, frankly, with Aziata. He's either got to play or he, you know, he doesn't. And I think now's the time to find out whether or not he can play. I would move Ted Larson to centre. I think that would be the line that I would start with, which would be, 
Tunsil, Asiata, uh, Ted Larson, Jesse Davis, and and Jawan James. I, I don't see many other options out there. I think Jari Evans is out there, but you know, uh, uh, I mean, look, they're, they're they're guys on waivers for a reason. They're free agents for a reason. Yeah, uh, uh, and it's because they're not good enough, frankly. And I just don't see the. I just don't see that there's a huge amount of options for this team. I mean, look, do they do they consider moving Tunsil to left guard and play Sam Young or Zach Sterup at left tackle? I can't see that you would. Um, you know, you've got Kelly Mack coming to town in a couple of weeks. You've got Carl Lawson this week and and the and that Bengals front. I mean, but then you've got Geno Atkins playing defensive. T- I mean, do you really want tra- Travis Swanson or? Or even Asiata against Gino. I mean, we'll get we'll get mullered. I mean, who? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know that there's that many other options out there. Um, and it's not like we've got you know big boys at tight end either in terms of you know blocking. I mean, Durham Smythe can block obviously, but I mean that would be a massive concern for me. I, I don't really know where they go. I suspect that you know Asiata would come in, but I think they've got to at least have the conversation about whether or not. They they kick Tunsil inside back to the position he played as a rookie and, and play one of the, the tackles outside. But again, that's far from ideal. But you know, look, we're we're dealing with less than ideal situations. So who knows? I think that in 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 game you can move Larry Tunsil the left guard if you want to execute certain plays. But I'd say leave him where he is. And I agree with you. Larson the center, bring up Asiata. He's either good or he's not good. He's either going to play or he's not going to play. You drafted him for a reason. You drafted him because you thought that he was going to be your starting, at the time, probably right guard. But now he has to be your starting left guard. So try him. You know, what do you have to lose except more games? Okay, so that's the the interior of the line, who's a, which has been a complete and utter disaster the last two weeks. But let's move on to a guy who has not been a disaster, which is Bobby McCain. He's injured. He's going to be out two to three weeks. Thank God for that, that it's not catastrophic. You're going to have him for, you know, the important stretch of the season, which is the second half of the season, where you're going to probably have to go at least five and three to make the playoffs. You know, four and four is probably the the best case scenario to make the playoffs. And that's if you have a very heavy first half of the season. So how do you go about replacing him? Is it just as simple as plugging in McTire or are you looking elsewhere? Uh, well, I think it all depends on what happens with Rashad Jones. I think if Rashad, Rashad Jones comes back, it makes it significantly easier because then you can move Minka back to um to, to slot, and then you play whoever you feel more comfortable with, either Tory McTire or or Cordray Tankersley. But neither is ideal, and I don't think McTire covered himself in much glory at the weekend. No, although to be fair, I don't think Xavier Howard did either. Um, but I think the ideal scenario would be that, that Rashad comes back and then it, it's not too bad because you played McTire on the perimeter this season already. So, he, you, you know, he can do it. I think it becomes much more difficult if Rashad is out and then you have to play Minka at safety and then you're left, you know, you then have to replace a boundary corner and a slot corner. The other option would be to play Maurice Smith at safety, which I think would probably be a better situation. Then you have TJ McDonald and, uh, and Maurice Smith, and then you have Minka in the slot with with uh, McTyre and Xavier outside. I think that any situation where Minka is in the slot is probably the best moving forwards when you consider that you're playing AJ Green, very good Tyler Boyd who play, plays out the slot, and obviously John Ross who can you know who can run like the wind. So for me, that would be the the best of a you know again a bad but not catastrophic situation. What do you think? Yeah, I think that that's the best thing you do, and especially for this game coming up. Uh, we're going to get into it you know, much more heavy on the next three yards per carry, which is when, when we preview the Bengals game this Sunday. But if you just look at, to give you a little preview of what I'm going to be thinking on Thursday's podcast, if you look at their team, uh, it makes perfect sense to have Xavier Howard shadow A.J. Green, Minka in the slot for Boyd, and then you have – probably your, your fastest cornerback in McTire chasing Ross around the field. So in that sense, I don't make many changes. I hope for Rashad to come back. He should be back, you know, but we said this before. Uh, Adam Gase said if, we had a, if this was a playoff game against the Patriots, first of all, we would have lost 45-7. to seven. But if this were a playoff game against the Patriots, 
it means that Rashad would have played and so would have Devontae Parker. Now, that's a perfect segue right into that offense. There's nothing good to say about this, this offense, but I'll start with two things. Is Devontae Parker now necessary? Um, is he necessary? I mean, I think he showed the reasons why he's necessary against the Raiders because he does have that big play capability in him. But, I mean, he just can't stay healthy, mate. No. If you don't play, you uh, I've always said this before, if you don't play, you can't be good. Like, you can't tell me, oh, this guy's really, really good. Watch when he plays. And then I look at his box scores, and he only played four games in a season. And, yeah, you had 500 yards. Well, guess what? In my book, you had 500 yards over 16 games because you didn't play the other 12. And availability is extremely important in the NFL, especially since it's a cap sport. It's a salary cap sport. So the salaries that you pay these guys actually matters because that money's taking up roster space. So you got to be available. You got to play. Devontae Parker sitting out this game, I don't know. I, I, I took it more to mean that, that Adam Gase was like sitting him for a reason. Because he just found this injury all of a sudden out of nowhere on a Friday. You know, so maybe they had a little falling out and Adam Gase decided to punish him by benching him for this Patriot game. So, I don't know. It was, it was just really bad. But what was actually worst is when the season, before the season started, we all agreed. I think we were in complete agreement that our best offensive player, besides, you know, Tannehill, because, you know, your quarterback's pretty important but that your best offensive player on this team was Kenyon Drake, that he had superstar potential. All three of us agreed. He had three carries, Simon. Explain to me how he had three carries and what do they have to do going forward? Um, I mean, his lack of production this season has been astonishing. Um, and I don't understand that. I know that he left the locker room without talking to the to the media. I know that Gaze came out and said he needs to do a significantly better job of, uh, of getting Drake the ball. Um, I just don't understand why he's gone missing. Um, he's struggling to, you know, when he's getting chances, he's not he's not making the most of them. He, he, he looks to bounce everything. Every single play looks like a big, he wants it to be a big play. Do you know what I mean? And sometimes mm -hmm. I think you've just got to settle for three or four yards. Um, uh, and sometimes I think he's guilty of trying to bounce it one too many times. Um, you know, five carries for three yards against Oakland, three carries for three yards against New England. I mean, that is... He's the official three yards per carry. He is. Cry. I mean, he's 33 carries for 107 yards this season. Uh, I don't know where he's... You know, because like, like we said, we, you know, he's got... I mean, he's got 1,500 yards rushing potential or, you know, and... 40 catch potential and frankly he might not get 40 yards for the rest of the season he's been that bad he has been let me he tell you been atrocious let me tell you it could be psychological uh when you know going into a game that you're not going to get 25 carries or you're not going to get even 20 touches let's say which i said before the season this man must have 20 touches a game I don't care if he has 12 catches and eight carries or 20, ca 20 carries and no catches. He needs to touch the ball 20 times a game. Mm. If you go into a game thinking that you're not going to get all of these touches, the times you do get the ball in the game, you might go for that home run. You know what I mean? You understand what I'm saying? And maybe that's what's playing into this. He's getting the ball and he's like, what can I do with this one carry? Because I might not get another one until the third quarter. I wonder if he's hindered by Frank Gore being there and the, the, the lack of certainty in knowing that he is not the guy, that he could come out at any point, that he, you know, once he, even if he got some consistency and started, you know, breaking out long runs or whatever, that all of a sudden he might just get pulled and Gore might come in for two or three series. And I wonder if that plays on his psyche at all. Yeah, um, because we've all talked up about the fact that Gore it could be great for him personally and professionally, and and actually that that that's as maybe. But when it comes to games, when you go into a game thinking, "Crikey, you know, I was the best running back in the NFL over the last five weeks of the season last year, and now I'm not even starting because some you know guy that everybody says is washed up who could only average three point seven yards a carry last season is now starting in front of me." 
What does that yeah. say about me? What does that say about the team's trust in me? Where does that leave me as a player? And I can yeah. kind of feel like maybe that is as much of a problem as anything else. That Gore has been great for Kenyon Drake off the field. What he has been on the field is significantly uh, less enthusing. Um, because I think the offensive line generally has been better. But I do think that Josh Sitton's injury is huge. And I think it's no... Um, I think it's no coincidence that he had his best game when Sitton was playing and subsequently he's had two stinkers when Sitton was out. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, when we come back, we will have Chris Kaufman and we'll further this depressing edition of the Three Yards Per Carry podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But first, these words. Hey, this is Seth Levitt, and I am here with two-time Miami Dolphins team MVP. Seth, 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 man. They already know this is OJ McDuffie. Why don't you tell them what we're really here for? We're excited to join the crew at the Five Reasons Sports Network to bring you our new podcast, The Fish Tank, Dolphins Tales from the Deep. OJ, tell them what they can expect when they dive in. Yeah, Big Seth, we've got some of your favorite all-time Dolphin players in the tank sharing some of the best stories that you've never heard. So it looks like Sasquatch is <laughs> chasing me because you, you know Izzo with his clothes on. He's so hairy, that guy. <laughs> Wait, why are you looking so, at me like I know yeah. Lizzo with his no, clothes off? Seth with his clothes off. So make sure you find the fish tank on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or if you're one of those Android people, Google Play Music, or on several cross-platform apps, including Podbean and Stitcher. Thanks for diving in. Josh Darrow here, host of the Five Rings Podcast, where it's always a cane sting on the Five Reasons Sports Network. What are we about? Pretty easy. I want to tell stories, and I want to share the journey for the players and coaches, past and present, affiliated with the University of Miami. Take Manny Diaz. He grew up in Miami. He grew up going to the Orange Bowl. It was, you know, it was all those 1980s teams. You know, that, that's where it all started for me. And just, just the style of play. And, and really, it, was, it really took hold when Jimmy Johnson was here. And, you know, sitting there in the Orange Bowl in 86 when we were whipping Oklahoma. And just, you know what I mean? Just, just speed and then violence. You know what I mean? It, 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 you know, we're not only, you know, you know, Nebraska it was a changing of college football. It's those kind of memories we want to share with you. Listen, subscribe, rate, review. We appreciate the support. The Five Rings Podcast, where it's always a cane sting, and we're always a part of the Five Reasons Sports Network. And we're back. And we're back on this very somber and depressing edition of Three Yards Per Carry. But you know what is not somber and depressing? BetQL, our sponsor, BetQL. Want to get an edge over Vegas and the books? BetQL is available for download, and it's the only mobile app that puts all the important research you need to make smart bets in one place. With BetQL, you can easily access line movement to see how the lines have moved. This app gives you access to public betting trends in real time so you can see which side the public favors. BetQL's powerful algorithm gives users value bets of the day based off of detailed recent and historical trends. You can also calculate your return on your picks and track them throughout the day. The best part of all, you can download BetQL for free from your Apple or Android device. Head to betql.co to download the only app you need to outsmart Vegas. That's BeckQL.co. BeckQL is brought to you by the creators of RotoQL, the leading daily fantasy lineup optimizer trusted by 100,000 DFS players. You can also download RotoQL for free for both Apple and Android. Well, Chris. I like what you did there on that segue. I think you're mm-hmm. giving Simon a, a run for his money on those segues. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about BetQL. I heard you used it this weekend on a couple of lines. Uh, are you saying you sound down today? Is did something happen? Uh, I'm not sure what happened. Although I'll tell no. you what, <laughs> BetQL. I, I seriously, I, again, I will, I will, I will tell everybody this because it's how I use it and it's why I use it. And, um, and I, I have, have to imagine a lot of people are in the same boat as I am. I, if you get into too many of those, like, you know, pickums and NFL, you know, college pickums, NFL pickums, where you have to pick against the spread and, um, and there are just too many games out there. You're, you're also doing fantasy. You're also doing, 
all this stuff. Uh, BetQL just like lines it all up great. I mean, they have recommendations, they have uh, ratings, they have what they think the line should be. They have uh, that you can tell immediately. You can sort everything by uh, percent of uh, a public bet, you know, on, on which side of the game. And uh, you can you can just push a button and see once you've already sorted it. You can just push a button on the game and see where the the betting line has moved. Uh, for those people that like to bet against the the public, you know you can do it that way. If some those people that like to bet, especially when the line moves away from the public for mysterious reasons, and we assume that it's because the sharps are threatening to plunk a bunch of money down. You you can do all these things, and it's really easy. And the app is um is really well laid out so that you can you can do it all in a short amount of time. And that's why I use it. That's why I would recommend it to people. You know, I'm not just I'm not just shilling here. I'm I'm saying that I actually use this on Saturday morning for my college pickums, which I have to make, and uh, otherwise I, I just get embarrassed at work. So. Yeah. And it's free. You know, it costs you nothing. Just download it, try it out, see if you want to try it any further. Well, Chris, this game, my God, let's, let's first of all, just tie in with what I spoke to Simon about at the end of the first segment. And this game came at a cost. We're losing David Kilgore for the rest of the year. Bobby McCain will be out two to three weeks. How do you go about replacing both of them? Well, I think Kilgore is the tougher one, uh, believe it or not, because Bobby McCain on the defense, if, if I know that he's a he's a really good player. We paid him a good amount of money. He's only going to be out like probably two to three weeks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's a good player, and he's a, he's a captain of that defense, I believe, and a really good leader. He's savvy. Uh, he had that pickoff in the game against, uh, against Tom Brady. It was a really, really good play. Uh, and that will be missed, but at the same time, Minka Fitzpatrick has been pretty lights out for a rookie corner. He plays slot corner most of the time. Even when he's playing sl- safety, he's doing a lot of man coverage like a corner. Um, and he's still there, and Xavier Howard is still there. This is, this is what was so cool about having three guys like Xavier Howard, Minka Fitzpatrick, and Bobby McCain. And now you have two. And, okay, so now you're like most of the rest of the league that way. Um, so I think that uh, I think that he's he will be missed for a couple of weeks, but it's not that big of a deal. In fact, I would actually be on the lookout for Minka Fitzpatrick because you don't want to take him off the field on base downs, right? And we've talked about this. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't want him only on the field for like 50, 60% of the snaps. When Rashad Jones gets back, and we, we believe that will be this week, um, when he gets back, they're going to have to figure out how do they keep Minka Fitzpatrick on the field. And one thing that immediately stands out to me is to have Xavier Howard follow A.J. Green all over the place and to have Minka Fitzpatrick follow Boyd all over the place. And Boyd is as strong as Tyler Boyd is a strong receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, we'll get to our Bengals, of course, preview much later or later in the week. But um, you could actually see Minka Fitzpatrick playing on the outside in base. And I know that the Dolphins have worked on it a little bit this offseason, a little bit during training camp and, um, and periods where the media wasn't necessarily watching. Um, he did do some of it at Alabama as well. He, he's, he's a corner. He can, he can cover in man. If you can cover in man, you can cover the outside. And so I, would, I wonder if Minka will just follow around Tyler Boyd like that and, and play a little bit on the outside to keep him on the field during nickel um, as well as base. And that's what's really, really important. Now on the other side of the ball, the offensive line, that's where things get really dirty because let's face it. Daniel Kilgore was not playing as well as we hoped uh, this year, but now no. he's out for the year and it could get even worse. And that's, um, that's what's really disconcerting there because now we are really off plan. The plan, if you recall, was Josh Sitton at left guard and Daniel Kilgore at center. And then the strong tackle um, tackles on the outside and uh, Jesse Davis is sort of an up-and-comer with a lot of really physically remarkable attributes at right guard. 
now you're down Josh Sitton and Daniel Kilgore. I mean, damn, right? I mean, that's, that's mm-hmm. that really, that really sucks for your offseason plan. Um, so now they have to go. They went with Travis Swanson, but he's only been here for a couple of weeks. And I, I have to think that that makes Adam Gase a little bit uh, nervous because mm-hmm. how much of the offense has he really uh, absorbed and how reliable can he really be? Uh, that's that, those are questions because these mistakes are driving Gase nuts, and they ought to be. They're the reason that the game went off the rails against New England. Mistakes that can be caused by a person not really knowing the offense as well as other people. So, because he's so sensitive to that, I actually wonder if one thing that's on the table right now is to move Ted Larson over to center and mm-hmm. uh, open up. You know, of course, that opens up a hole at left guard, but it's it's less costly to have a guy that's a little bit newer to the offense or doesn't know quite as much of what's going on with the playbook at left guard than it is at center. So um, Ted Larson, having been here for a couple of years, having been in this offense, I wonder if he's more trustworthy at center until Jake Brendel can possibly come off of, uh, you know, he might be on that half IR thing where he gets to come back after half the season is done. Mm-hmm. Um well, that happens. Ted Larson could be the guy moving over. I think that uh, Jeremiah Washburn, the offensive line coach, who has experience with Travis Swanson in the past, may stump for him. He may say, you know, hey, give him a week of real practice to try and iron out some of the kinks we saw against New England, um, and and give him this Cincinnati game to really to really try out and be the center, so that we don't have to shift a lot of things around. And that. You know, that could happen. That could be – Adam Gase could listen to that. But if there's problems in the Cincinnati game, I my money would be on Ted Larson moving over to, to center after that game when they come back home against Chicago. Well, me and, and Simon were in complete agreement to move Ted Larson to center and bring up Isaac Asiata. Mm. I know you're not a fan, but nah. this guy was drafted. He was drafted for a reason. He was drafted to be the starting right guard. Um, but he, Isaac Asiata is a different story. I, I, I have had always had trouble with him ever since he was drafted, and um, and and he hasn't really done much to prove me wrong here. And this this preseason, there were like moments when, you know, especially on the pole, that's when he's always gonna. People notice that. People notice yeah. when a guy is pole. And um, but aside from that snap for snap you're looking at it, it really wasn't that good this preseason there's a reason he's on practice squad right now mm-hmm. uh, but that might be the best choice we have so I would rather I would probably rather have Ted Larson at center and Isaac Asiata at left guard than what I saw out of Travis Swanson at center and um and Ted Larson at left guard because that's because I don't think left guard is the best spot for Ted Larson to begin with I think center is the best so so at least get his best best out of him and then and then try and make do with what we got at left guard. Yeah, well, what we saw with Swanson was that he essentially ended the game with his first snap yeah. <laughs> in the game. So, yeah, yeah that, that, that's all we know about that game, okay? Yeah. I told Simon that the best part of that game was the two penalties on, on Xavier Howard <laughs> and that pick play that went for a touchdown because if you wipe those away, then they're realistically in the game late into the second quarter. It would have not mattered. What were your impressions of this game? Well, that's, that's pathetic, isn't it? Like it is. We, the, 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 the best part of the game were penalties against us. We, we have to erase plays <laughs> so that we can say that we were into the game into the second quarter. <laughs> yes. That is a terrible, terrible game. Um, yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I I, I disagree with Simon on this, and pick or not. I think uh, James White was moving. And he moved through Xavier Howard, who had established a, a position. And to me, that's an illegal pick. But, uh, you know, other people might disagree. But, but what, you know what also showed up on that play? We don't even really talk about it that much. Mm-hmm. Is T.J. Donald's terrible, terrible angles. Yes. Uh, which we've been talking about since preseason. You know, that go back to that 70-plus yard Christian McCaffrey run. And then in the, um, in the Titans game when Derrick Henry – bust out a big one that got called back on holding luckily uh that was tj mcdonald taking that really awful angle and here he is again 55 yard quarter l patterson touchdown his first 
touchdown reception since 2016, evidently. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was TJ McDonald really, really putting, putting the uh, finishing touch on that play by taking a terrible angle and letting it go 55 for a touchdown instead of, you know, just being like, say, a 20-yard or 25-yard big play, right? Um, that That's what you can't have. That's that's the sort of – people don't look at that as much, but that's where you really get hurt on defense is when those big plays become, you know, just all the way for the distance. All right, Chris. Well, the defense played 81 plays, and I made a list of – the guys, I decided to be a little bit more positive after all the, all the bitching I did on the three yards per carry account. We are going to get into the offense, but let's wrap up the defense here. I made a list of the guys that I thought played well mm-hmm. on the defense. And that list was Vincent Taylor, Minka mm-hmm. Fitzpatrick, and nobody else. Really? Your thoughts. I, I'm going to give some other people some credit because Cameron Wake played a stellar game, I thought. Um, I thought that he was really, he was in Tom Brady's ear the way that you're used to seeing Cameron Wake be in Tom Brady's ear. Uh, Robert Quinn is probably two plays away from having had a really strong game. Uh, and those two plays were, Oh, I actually included him. I included Robert Quinn. Okay. Well, I see, I, I can't, I can't say go all the way and say he had a good, good day because, those two plays were really costly. You know what was really good is is Jonathan Woodard. I agree. Look at him during the game. I mean, he was he was strong. He was giving you a lot of what William Hayes was giving you. And William mm-hmm. Hayes, difference maker, uh, when he actually plays. Um, and so I, that was really encouraging to me. I thought that was that was very strongly encouraging uh, on what Woodard was able to do, and because because William Hayes's loss was such a big loss. So, you know, that Woodard – and um, we might talk about Charles Harris and – We will right now, I think, in fact. I think a lot because. of people – I think a lot of people are probably about to dogpile on that guy, and I feel bad for him. But, uh, but at the same time, that's another reason why Woodard's performance was so encouraging. Because well, in the first half of this podcast, me and Simon officially started our yeah. Charles Harris bus watch. Uh. And are are you ready to join us where where we will chronicle Charles Harris' trip toward Bustom this season every week? You, you know why this is tough for me? Because uh-huh. um, when we were at this point, this exact point in Olivier Vernon's career, yeah, he was this bad. Mm-hmm. He was this bad in pass rush. He was not getting anything done in pass rush. He had one of the worst pass rush efficiencies. Uh, that I'd seen of defense bends that play a lot. Uh, he could do uh, some other things, but um, but his his pass rush was easily this bad. And I I made sort of the declaration then I was like, you know what, I I liked him coming out of the draft, but uh, but you know this this is not the guy. This is not a good pass rusher, mm-hmm. and he's never going to be a good pass rusher. And then he became a really good pass rusher. <laughs> yeah. And, and he, got, he got like a billion dollars from the New York Giants. So, um, so I, I think this is really hard for me to make that sort of early declaration as if these guys can't get better because clearly it does. We happen. can put them on a watch list. We, we, we yeah. can't do that. Watch list, double secret probation. Yes. <laughs> uh, I think that that's, that's a pro- fair and appropriate at this point. Uh, but at the same time, Jonathan Woodard, I mean, going back to – I want to go back to – because he's six foot six and 270, you know, plus pounds. Mm-hmm. Huge span, great frame, and, you know, a strong run defender. And yet, watch what he was doing in some of the pass plays. He was getting after it and, and pass rush too. Uh, you know, that's that's a really strong find to just, for just, you know, a guy that you picked up and just all of a sudden started playing well for you in the preseason – and now he's on your roster and he's playing well in a regular season game, you know, that's, we're going to be talking about him in some you know, months from now or a year from now. Yeah, and like I said uh, last week on the pod, it's, it's very common. Like this is not one of those crazy things that happen. It's very common to find a pretty good pass rusher and defender out on the scrap heap. You know, nobody wants him, and suddenly, all of a sudden the, the light turns on. It, it happens all the time. 
especially if they're physically gifted. I think that's yes. the thing that you look for. If they're on the scrap heap and they're really not physically much to, to look at, then, then they're probably going, they're on their way uh, out altogether. But guys like this that are this, this is why I didn't want to cut them. And mm -hmm. when, came to final cuts is because he's six foot six and 270 plus pounds with a huge wingspan and and actually runs pretty fast had a good i believe he had a good cone drill and stuff like that you know this is why i didn't want to cut him because those guys get snapped up the guys that are physically gifted that mm -hmm. are on the screen they get snapped up because they're going to keep getting chances for this exact reason because mm -hmm. miami's giving them a chance in this wide nine system it's not really a system it's it's a technique but um they're giving him a chance and and sure enough he's blossoming well enough on the defense okay because that that was just a disaster but when you play 81 plays it and give up 38 points it's exactly that it's 81 plays this is a college game you know yeah. the <laughs> colleges play 81 plays this is not supposed to happen in the nfl yeah and when you play 81 plays this is the reason that colleges go hurry up no huddle and they stuff in all these plays and try and play 70 80 plays in a game is because they know that every single one of those plays is a roll of the dice whether it's going to be a big one you know yeah. a really big play and that's exactly what the patriots did at home you know they figure okay well you know five percent of these plays are going to be really big game-changing plays the kind of plays that change your you know your points your uh point predictions and um and sure enough, they run 80 plays and they get, you know, five or six of them that are, that are really big like that. And, and that's what, and it all boils down to the third down. And of course, Miami headed into the, you know, this, it drives me, it drives me nuts about Matt Burke because Matt Burke, I feel like is often misattributing things on his, on his defense. I don't know if he's, you know, he could be doing it on purpose. He could be because he doesn't, I don't think he likes the media, but, um, <laughs> but he, you know, he, he talked about the third down defense and how it sucks before mm. this game, before this game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, ironically. And, and he taught, he attributed it to, he said that it's all, all third and four or less, like everything that they're doing is third and four or less. Well, I got news for you on third and five plus you're 31st in the league and your, and your, your conversion rate on third and five plus is, you know, basically the same as it is on third and four or less. So mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter. That's misattribution. Your your problems are on third and five plus. Your problems are third and long, just like they were last year. And again, I'm going to go back to it. And it's you know I talk about dime defense all the time. Some some teams do all right without it. Some some defenses do fine without it. Um, Miami has been without it, not doing it for three years, and they are not doing all right without it. They just play the Patriots defense who goes dime at the drop of a hat. They go seven defensive backs at the drop of a hat. Mm -hmm. And they, they do it really well. They, they did it. They beat us with it. They beat us exactly with that. And the week before, the Patriots played the Detroit Lions with Matt Patricia, who did this with the Patriots a year ago. And Matt Patricia did it to the Patriots and beat them with it, you know, and beat them by doing that, by going seven defensive backs. And, uh, and you know, maybe get get a clue about it i don't you know, yeah. this is a copycat league start copying somebody <laughs> <laughs> yeah well let's move on to the offense which is part of the reason why that defense was on on the field so long yeah. Yeah. my god what was that i told simon uh and i was on twitter all day you know explain you know trying to explain what i saw in that game i saw a lot of very difficult and complicated route combinations being run against dime and sometimes seven defensive backs, you know, yeah. sometimes football should be, you know, first of all, that's just stupid to do, but sometimes football should be pretty simple. And if you have a Kenyon Drake and if you have a Frank Gore on the field, when the Patriots are in six defensive backs or seven defensive backs, call one of them in. And if you just have to scream out to your offensive lineman, Hey, we're running dive 32 here. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you have to tell the Patriots beforehand, hey, Jesse Davis, move that guy out of the way, and we're going to run it right up the middle to try to get an easy four yards. Sometimes you just got to do it, okay? Yeah. Sometimes you just got to run a very simple play and force them to defend it with all those defensive backs. And who knows? We have running backs that can break tackles. They break one tackle, it turns into a 10, 12-yard run. I saw none of that. I saw 
pretty complicated route combinations that were getting nowhere. And a quarterback that, quite frankly, we all like him on this podcast, he was bad. And he was as bad as we can remember him being. He had a bad game. It, I, I don't say it was an awful game. It's not like, it's not like everything he did was bad. Uh, he was working the pocket really well, I thought. Uh, he was, I mean, he was moving off his spot and uh, adjusting to pressure really well. Uh, what he did that was bad in the game, there were two things. One, he just wasn't as accurate as he usually is. No. Uh, we're used to him being sort of, I mean, I hate to, to throw this accolade around, but we're used to him being kind of hyper accurate. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in this game, he was not that. It was more like, you know, it's more Jay Cutler accuracy. Um, (laughs) And so, so it was, there was that, that was a problem. But what I really saw is, is he was staring down and he got tunnel vision over some of his receiver um, options. There was a a play where he really locked in. There are are actually a couple of plays where he locked in on Albert Wilson and, and, you know, Albert Wilson did not have the favorable matchup necessarily and he certainly wasn't open one of them I mean he stared it down so bad and he just patted patted the football over and over again until he finally threw it and that actually drew the deep center safety Deron Harmon all the way to the sideline you know if you give a deep center safety the time to go all the way to the sideline you know not just to the numbers but actually to the sideline then you've held the football too long on a deep on a deep ball like that, and he did. He, I mean, he's lucky that one wasn't intercepted. The one that was intercepted later, uh, again, he got tunnel vision for Albert Wilson against Jason McCourty. The first one was against Stephen Gilmore. I'm not sure I like that matchup uh, for that play. Uh, mm-hmm. The second one was Jason McCourty, and again, I'm not sure I like that matchup for that you know for that vertical. Um, and he really he tunnel vision. He didn't notice Jakeem Grant wide open on the left. And on the first one, actually, that he locked in on Albert Wilson against Stephen Gilmore, Jakeem Grant on the right side was also open on a comeback, and Danny Amendola was open on a deep over uh, route. And actually, Adam Gase said that in his press conference today. He said that Jakeem Grant and Danny Amendola were running wide open all day. And when I reviewed the film and charted everything, and I have the chart sitting in front of me, that was actually true. Uh, those, those guys were open on several occasions and Ryan Tannehill just, you know, either had tunnel vision and wasn't looking for it or on several other occasions, there were a lot of other snags with the offensive line and Jawan James and, uh, and the interior with Swanson and, uh, and Kilgore before Kilgore even went out, he was having an awful game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there was, there was a lot going on. You know what I didn't notice? And this is, this is a narrative that I think people are going to run with, even though they don't actually check uh, the data, is mm-hmm. everybody's going to say, oh, you, you can't get away with all this screen, and screen stuff and bubble screens and tunnel screens and stuff like that. You know, that's, that stuff's just all gimmick, and you can't do that. They didn't do hardly any of that against the Patriots. No. For the first, like, 30, I think I had the first uh, 34 plays or 35 plays, the ones that actually mattered before the Patriots got out to a stupid lead, like 31 nothing, 38 nothing. Um, they ran two. Two. Hmm. That's not – we're not used to that. And, and actually, you know, later on, later on you saw one to Jakeem Grant. I think it was uh, Brock Osweiler that threw it. Um, or somebody threw it and, and it was, you know, gained a good amount. And it was like, you know, some of that might've been available to you earlier in the game. Yeah. It certainly. <laughs> what a perfect, what a perfect way to end this. And then the immortal words of Bill Belichick were on to Cincinnati. <laughs> All right, guys, next time we talk to you, we'll be previewing the Cincinnati Bengals. Can they go four and one or are we going to have another misery Monday? See you then. Thanks for listening to 3 Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.